Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so to start, we're going to watch a very quick three-minute clip from The Chosen. I hope you can all see it. Thank you, Tim. You see the Parthian foot races last night? Darius ran like a gazelle. Jews don't go to foot races. Your old friend signed himself used to run the wagering tables. They're not friends. Next. Okay. You see it at all? So you do not go to the races. You stay home. Is it showing? Is it just too dark? Don't worry, we won't do it. It's fine. Who watched The Chosen? (laughs) I thought your parents don't speak to you. Okay, just listen, just listen. It's a Roman soldier talking to Levi Matthew. He's in the tax booth. Go. Fantastic. I thought your parents don't speak to you. I had questions I couldn't ask anyone else. Mother of a son with talent like yours should be proud. She's ashamed that I could use a talent that God gave me against God. Next. You're good at something. You found a way to make a living doing it. It's that simple. Must be nice to live in a world so simply ordered. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Jesus is coming. Matthew. Matthew, son of Alphaeus. This is different. I'm not a tax collector. 
get used to different. Not we passed by a wolf today, Matthew. <laughs> Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? Grab it without thinking. Can you put it back? No, no, keep it. You may yet find useful. Where are we going? Dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Well. Okay. I'm sorry if you couldn't hear that. I hope you got the taste of that. The Chosen portrays Matthew in a really interesting way that made me yeah think about him completely kind of differently um but it, yeah it's just one way of portraying him so we're going to read could you get the verses up tim so my verses today are from mark 2 verses 13 to 17 and we're going to look at it in two parts um, we're just going to look at verses 13 to 14 first and then we're going to look from 15 to 17. So could somebody read 13 to 14 for me? Thank you. Just go. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collecting food. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Excellent, thank you. Okay, we're going to have a bit of a, it's going to be interactive today, okay? So um, what stands out to you from just those couple of verses? Is there anything that, Angus, you read it, what stood out to you? If you just read it for the first time. Yeah. He knows him, yeah. I don't know if that's just like because he had heard of his family or yeah. he like just had no idea who Matthew was, but just because of the spirit because he was God. Yeah. Um, he was aware of who he was and where he came from. Like, the hints that he kind of knows his past and who he is. Yeah, he knows him. Yeah, definitely. And he, he knew more about him than just that he was a tax collector. Um, and I think that was his job, but he he's so much more than that. Our work, our work can so easily define us and it's what we're doing the majority of the time, day to day, to day whether we're looking after kids or whether we're in a busy workplace. But so often our work can be the thing that gives us identity, but actually Jesus straight away knew his name, knew who his father was, knew something about him and... Um, for Matthew or Levi, in the chosen they kind of call him, they call him Matthew all the way through. In Mark's gospel, they call him Levi. In Matthew's gospel, he refers to himself, I guess, as Matthew. But, but yeah, I think at this point, Jesus hasn't officially changed his name to Matthew. But he knew him, and as a tax collector, um, if you know anything about taxes, the taxman probably still has the reputation today. He was hated. He was 
um, he would have been seen as worse than a leper. So just so I think just a few weeks ago, we looked at um, the story in Mark where Jesus reaches out and touches a leper and heals the leper. And the Pharisees obviously frown upon that and are just like, ah, you've touched someone who's unclean. But actually, a tax collector was seen as worse than a leper because out of choice, they have taken a job. A leper, they're a victim of their disease, their physical disease, whereas a tax collector has brought that kind of disease upon themselves. Anything else stand out to you guys? Phil. The bit stood out to me was that Jesus was teaching and that, like, then it says he walked along, so, yeah. but they're really closely linked. And it stood out to me that Jesus had been teaching a large crowd, large crowd. he would have been teaching about the, the writings that they would often have been learning about. Mm. And so it wasn't, so for Levi and the crowds, it wasn't just a sort of um, a random, like, charismatic person who just said, hey, come with me. Yeah. It's like it was connected to what they knew about the Old Testament and about yeah 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 I mean I think this story in many ways is quite similar to the previous story where he calls the fisherman it's and I love it it's it says that he he goes out beside the lake he doesn't go to the temple he goes somewhere where he knows the normal kind of people are going to be going about their daily work. And then the crowd comes around him, this large crowd. He puts himself in the way for this large crowd to come around him and learn from him. They're not necessarily people who go to the temple every day. He's going to the place where people are working and busy with their normal lives. Um, And... And he's teaching, as you say, and it's really interesting. One of the um, commentaries I looked at said that thing that it says, like he began to teach them is really interesting because before, before that, um, he's, he's just done a, a ton of different physical healings. And we saw a passage where the disciples are like looking for him and being like, everyone's looking for you. They want you to come and he- heal them. Everyone's lining up. They want to be delivered from demons. They want to be healed physically. But Jesus um, says to them, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. And it's really interesting because Jesus could have just gone around just laying hands on people, healing the sick one after the other because he was getting all this glory for that. But teaching is still such an important part of his ministry and he knew that was why he had come. And because and one of the main reasons for that is he knew physical healing wasn't going to be enough for people. Spiritual healing was what people needed. And actually starting to preach this message of repentance and something different. Like it, what's so interesting with Jesus is he knew the rules and the laws of the Pharisees and the Jewish scriptures. He knew them so well that then when he broke them... <laughs> It was like, or he kind of looked at them in a different perspective and, and did something like this. It was so crazy because it was like, I've been teaching it, but I'm teaching you a new way to live out these rules. So anything else in this passage stand out to you? Yeah, I think Victor. it stands out how 
Yeah. Like, yeah. You can feel like all the kind of hunger that he had, even though he had everything. Yeah. Like, like riches and protection and power. It's like he was mm, yeah. empty inside and was willing to just. Totally. Or something else that was more. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That was, to be honest, that was the bit of this, these couple of verses that stood out to me the most. I think this, the fact that Matthew's sitting there. And it, and it literally just says he, he got up and followed him. And in other Gospels, it says he left everything and followed him. And it's so strange. It's almost like, and I think they do really well in The Chosen with it look like this Roman soldier's almost like, I don't know, trying to be buddy-buddy with him and reminding him of everything good he has. But actually, he and himself is internally wrestling with what it means for him to be a Jew who has kind of has put himself in this relationship with the Romans and, and what that means for him. He, I mean, ta- everything was taxed and they were living under this Roman occupation. And for them, for the Jews, the tax collectors were almost like this <coughs> physical embodiment of Roman domination. <laughs> and the tax collectors would have been seen as like, like kind of moles or informants in Nazi Germany or like in a communist regime. They, they were seen as almost worse than the Romans because they had grown up in the temple, in the synagogues, learning shoulder to shoulder, all their family, um, having brought them up in this culture. And then we don't know why Matthew chose to become a tax collector. Maybe he... he you know, he wanted to, he needed the money, who knows? Maybe he got kind of groomed into it, who knows? But he decided, he made that choice at some point to become a tax collector. And in doing that, he was excommunicated, basically, from his community. And he would have been dead to his family, to the people he was at his synagogue with, to his wider family. And he would have brought so much shame upon everybody who he had been in contact with um and I think I don't know I just kind of think of the fact that he (coughs) for him to be in a a point where he's like yes I will go I will follow you I won't even wait till the end of my shift (laughs) I won't even wait till the end of my work day I'm literally gonna get up it feels like he must have been wrestling already and um there's a parable in Luke where um, Jesus talks about um, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Jesus talks about tax collectors quite a lot in his teaching. It's something they were all so familiar with. And he talks about um, a Pharisee and a tax collector going to the temple. And he says how, actually, let me read it. He says, um, how the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I've got. But then the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I kind of, I found that reference and it just really um, opened my eyes, I think, to like this place he was at of wrestling 
like the tax collectors knew. <laughs> they, they knew they were hated. They knew they had made decisions that meant that they were seen as like unclean, unlovely. Um, and even probably the Romans who sort of, you know, wanted them to work for them, you know, they probably deep down thought, man, you've turned your back on your family. Like, who are you? Like, that's... And so Matthew would have been absolutely, I don't know, just how he must have felt about himself. I don't know where, you know, think of the worst thing you've ever done and that shame you feel and that maybe regret or, oh, I wish I could change what I did. <laughs> and, and that must have been how he kind of lived every day. And Jesus kind of offers him this lifeline when he comes along and says, follow me. And Jesus gets eye contact with him and knows his name, knows the name of his dad. Um, and it's almost like he's being given this, this second chance. Anything else? I'm trying to think what else I pulled out. Um, yes, sir. No, I just, I mean, it's kind of a theme throughout Mark, but you see Jesus, it's just, I, just, I was just struck, and he went, he went to the lake, you know, and it's almost like as he was going to the lake, then he just started to teach, like, people asked him, and then it says, as he walked along, he saw Levi, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, oh, he woke up, and like, his priority today was to find Levi, like, he yeah. decided in his head, it was almost like, as he went by, he just felt like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call Levi out. I don't know if that's what happened or not, but yeah. I was just struck that it was, you know, there, there's such a, it seems like such a presence, yeah. Jesus, like a sense of presentness to Jesus, like he, he's just very deliberate in the moment, what he, what he yeah. sees or what he hears the Father doing, he just instantly, but also like very directly, you know, does it, he lives in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Do we know if, do we know anything about whether Levi and Jesus had like interacting before with a Levi, you know, had he, had he seen, do we know if he saw Jesus do stuff or was he like literally strangers? I think this is the first kind of mention. I mean, obviously he refers to other tax collectors a lot, but I think, I mean, in The Chosen, they hint at him having kind of caught eye contact with him and at different points, you know, that they've put a little bit of fictional background to it, but we don't know. But I guess if, Jesus had been in, it, it feels as if maybe Matthew had seen him before and maybe see, or been trying to listen or, um, yeah. In a way, that, so the Peter calling, which probably came after that big catch yeah. fish, you know, when Peter has been fishing all night, he hasn't got anything, and he was sitting <coughs> on the side and we get fed the fish. Yeah. Like, now, in a way, you sort of think, no wonder he follows Jesus. He's yeah. He's given him like thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah, it doubled it. Whereas this is almost even more amazing because mm-hmm. it's just no precursor, and the kind of cost of Levi yeah. is way more. Yeah, Romans and even probably his Jewish family, who are probably not into Jesus potentially. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's, it's huge. I guess it tells us a bit about Levi's character, doesn't it? Yeah, the work of God. Definitely, and I think um, even just the phrase "follow me" mm. um, has so much meaning in Mark. This word, this Greek word that's used for follow, which I can't really say, but I'll have a go. It is, um, hang on, 
Aculathene. Nice and easy, rolls off the tongue. It is in Mark 19 times. Um, and it's always used in the context of people following Jesus rather than people following after other things. And with this word um, comes like, they say it sort of means like load bearing. So it's more than just like, I'm just going to follow you and just believe what you do. And I'll follow you on Twitter. I'll follow you. on you know, it's, it's not just like, I kind of agree with what you're saying. There is this sense that of load bearing, that it's not just following from a distance. It's I'm literally going to help yeah. your mission. Yeah. I am going to carry weight with you and be fully engaged in what you are doing. And I find that, yeah, just so interesting because it really is like this. He has lived to basically get money <laughs> and he gives up all of that and says, I'm going to throw everything in with Jesus and follow you. And this, this word, this Greek word really implies like an act of faith and a deep kind of risk and cost um, and in some ways, although I'm sure for Peter and Andrew and John and the other fishermen, James, um, although I'm sure that involved cost, for them, they could have gone back to fishing. That is a skill. They could easily have been like, oh, it didn't work out. I'm going to go back to fishing. For, for him, he, he's not going to be able to go back to tax collecting. He is saying... I don't want a part of this world anymore. Plus, from what I, I read about the tax collecting scene, these jobs were like highly sought after. Like it would be like a big construction, like a big construction was going to happen, like Salesforce or something, that like there would be bids going out. And the, so this is a long process to even become a tax collector. You had to almost, the, the Romans were looking for a Jew, someone who'd been brought up as a Jew, who knew all the customs and cultures in certain towns or cities. And then those people would almost like throw their hats in the ring who might potentially want to be the tax collector for that town, which sounds awful because you're basically cutting yourself off. But because of the lucrative nature of it, they throw their hats in the ring. And then the person who's saying they will make the most out of the Jews, the highest bidder, <laughs> were the ones that, that won, basically. And Matthew had won. And basically, as a tax collector, he was then allowed to take to kind of ask for more than the Romans needed and kind of peel off the top. So Matthew was not physically needy. He was wealthy. He would have had a nice house. He would have eaten fine food. He would have been able to get all the things that the Romans got, which the Jews weren't able to get. Um, so physically, he wasn't needy, which is really interesting because everybody else that Jesus has healed and interacted with up until now has been very physically needy. Matthew's is very much a spiritual and emotional need. And, and Jesus is saying, just in saying, follow me, I am the pearl of great price. I am worth so much more than what you have. And it seems like Matthew is already in a place where he kind of knows that, but he's like a, a tipping point to, um, to fall that way. Um, also, the really interesting thing, which they definitely bring out in The Chosen a huge amount, is that P 
Peter, James and John would have been paying taxes to Matthew. He was their tax man. And even the fish that they caught in the Sea of Galilee would have been taxed. And he was the person they had to give taxes to. And he, they may have owed him money and have been behind with their payments. Who knows? But this was not somebody the people that he had already recruited liked. This is, you know, if you think of it as us bringing somebody into this community who you find incredibly challenging, like just someone who pushes all your buttons, whatever, maybe politically they have a different view to you. Maybe they, I don't know, maybe they're racist. Maybe they, I don't know, who knows? But someone who God, Jesus, is like, okay, I can work with this person. I can do, I can change anyone. Um, but it might push all your buttons. And that is what it is like for Peter and Matthew and Peter and John and James to have this God. Um, who can read this for me? Tanner, on your birthday, 15. Verse 15 to 17. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is such a well-known passage, and... I love it when you get to go a bit deeper with like a well-known passage and really wrestle with it. Um, this was one thing about this, which I hadn't, you know, you, within that first um, bit we read, it says that Matthew just kind of left everything and followed him. So it makes you think, oh, he's, he's going, he's left all those people and he's just going to go with Jesus. He's going to, in some ways would be easier if he just was able to just go to another city or another town. But this, you kind of know that, Jesus is going to go to his house and hang out with his friends who are still tax collectors. Um, so it's like he's not just like acting, you know, doing something completely crazy, but he's got to almost go back to his mates <laughs> and hang out with them with Jesus. And I just think the, the image of that is so interesting how all those people haven't. I mean, this is interesting. So I'm going to ask your opinion about this because I still don't know what I think. So it says, for there were many who followed him. And that word follow, again, seems to mean almost like I'm, I'm going to give up everything to follow you, to be part of your mission. Um, so this may mean, and not, none of the commentaries I've read make this clear, that the sinners and tax collectors that he is having dinner with are in that place where they also are starting to repent and want to follow Jesus. It doesn't tell us that. It just says, for there were many who followed him. Anyone have a comment on that or know more than me? I know. Yes, it could be. So it's, it's, it's just interesting because the followed, it being the same word that they've just used for Matthew, dropping everything and following after Jesus, um, but the, the cool thing is either way, whether they have decided to follow him or not, <laughs> um, Jesus has absolutely no problem 
going and hanging out with these people who were considered sinners and um, the tax collectors who everybody hated. I have a question. Yeah. It says sinners. Yeah. Like, we're all sinners. Yeah. So it feels very vague. Yeah. Like, you know. But it's funny how it differentiates between tax collectors and sinners. Like, they're... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see it as it's it's kind of referring to how the Pharisees would see yeah. those people because then because then it's the the Pharisees who ask why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? But very much tax collectors were lumped with murderers and thieves and they they weren't seen as any better than the you know the worst the worst crimes um so i don't know it feels like maybe he's using that language because that's how the pharisees saw saw them there's something like orderly about it like right so tony totally piece might be so wrong here but it, <clears throat> there's a load of tax collectors in the house it seems like there's still a um, and kind of, that speaks to me of togetherness and belonging. It's not like, I mean, they're saying they were eating together. Yeah. It seems like there may have been a group that were just together. Almost like, um, I don't know, stretching it a bit, but if you think about, say, gangs or yeah. English soccer hooligan gangs or something, part of the reason that they're there is for belonging. And it seems like there was this sort of subculture of people that just needed something. Yeah. But they thought that the... the, the um, Absolutely. And it's weird, it's almost the people who would have been they're kind of hated by the Romans but also hated by the Jews. <laughs> so it's kind of this weird middle group. They, they kind of had each other, yeah. Which is, is so interesting because, did, I don't know, do you, would they really have trusted each other if they all felt like, I don't know. They kind of were similar, but they had similar needs, but kind of just a lot of very broken people together. Yeah sometimes can create conflict. So I don't know. But yeah, they're definitely um, together. When it says Jesus is eating with them, that means probably that he is reclining, as in head first. He's lying on the floor with these people. He is, he is being incredibly like, intimate with these people. He's really entering in. He's not going there to preach to them. He is going there to love them, to, to eat with them. And his... Um, He's not requ requiring them to repent or to say they're going to quit their jobs before he comes and eats with them and sits with them and, and loves on them. He's saying, I want to get to know you as people. And, and the huge thing that, I mean, is difficult for the Pharisees is, I mean, there were so many rules around eating particularly and... Um, all the rituals of washing before a meal um, and 
even, yeah, the cups and the plates you use, everything had to be washed in a certain way. The food had to be kosher, everything. There were so many rules. And I'm sure at this meal, they, they, that, those things wouldn't have been followed. And the fact that Jesus was willing to go in and from the Pharisees' point of view, he was seen as unclean. This would be like the absolute kind of worst thing to do. He's making himself unclean by going in and eating with them and throwing all the rules out. So he's not just, because before it's like, okay, you've called Matthew into your world. Great. You're a Jew. He's going to go with you. He's going to stop being a tax collector. Great. Maybe they could have handled that. But the fact that he then goes into Matthew's world, um, in, a, in one of the commentaries I read, it said that it was almost like it I can't say this, but metastasized, like, you know, like how cancer spreads. It's like there was one person who he's kind of won over, he's repented, but instead he goes in and it's like this uncleanness grows and Jesus puts himself in this context. And, and I think this thing of him going to the people, again, is just so emphasized that he goes to them. He's not saying just come to me, he goes to them. Um, as a quote says, I am constrained to say that one of the reasons for the conditions of things in the Christian church is the aloofness of the church from sinning men and women. We will build our sanctuaries and set up our standards and institute our arrangements and say to the sinning ones, if you will come to us, we will help you. And that's, I just, I mean, I think that's so true. Um, and then yesterday I saw um, a post by Jackie Hill Perry, who's a, I love her, who is a um, speaker, an author. She said, Christians get real weird when it comes to chatting it up with self-identified, unbelieving, gay people or any non-Christian really. It becomes a game of double Dutch evangelism where they use that person's most obvious sin as the springboard from which to preach the gospel. <laughs> Depending on the person, the place, and the spirit's guidance, this may well be a wise method. Yet, there's another way, and that is curiosity. What if there is more to people than their most obvious sins? What if they are complicated and nuanced, as all image bearers are? And by discovering the different layers of them, you get to know who they are and not just what they are. This creates room for us to apply the gospel to their life in a variety of ways. And dare I say, for us to learn and thus love the entire person that we're sharing Jesus with. Be curious, saints. And I just, I just love that. And I think that takes real courage because that often means entering into things. We're so scared to say the wrong thing or, but as Christians, we can enter into relationship with people who believe very different things to us. And that is absolutely okay. And, and I think what Jesus is showing us is we don't have to be, it's not when we enter in, we're not going to be contaminated <laughs> by people just because they believe something different to us. We have the power of God living in us um, and we can, knowing who we are in Jesus, we can enter in and form relationship with people and get to know them as, as people who have interests and who 
have a past and have hobbies and have families and work and things they love. Like the things which we consider to be their most obvious sins are not the only thing <laughs> about them. And I'm sure if we turned it back on ourselves, you know, we would become aware of the things which maybe people would point out in us as well, our, our most obvious sins. So I think it's really challenging um, that Jesus, Jesus does this. He goes in. He obviously does not require them to, um, to repent or to change before he goes in. And I think that is such um, a challenge to us. The, the Pharisees' response um, is really interesting, and that's the thing that then means that Jesus says this very well-known statement. So the Pharisees saw, that, saw him eating with these sinners. Um, the, the Pharisees' whole kind of belief system is based on them being separate. The word Pharisee means separated ones. Um, and they believed that you should separate yourself from everything that was unholy, anything to do with Gentiles. They literally weren't even allowed to buy stuff from Gentiles. That would be seen as unclean if you, if you bought something from someone. <laughs> so they had to, everything they did, all their business had to be with other Jews. And they were so careful about what was going on on the outside. Um, and it's so interesting. Jesus challenges them um, in Luke, I think it's Luke 5. He says about how they worry so much about cleaning the outside of the cup. They don't worry about what's going on on the inside of the cup or the bowl. And what he's referring to, obviously, is they worry so much about all the external rule following that they give no time to think about what's going on in their hearts and whether they're truly loving people. Um, and the really interesting thing is that Jesus's response is saying, I mean, I think, I feel like so often Jesus is, he almost sounds, well, he is being provocative because <laughs> he's almost kind of agreeing with them <laughs> in what he's saying, but he knows that the Pharisees are just as sick, if not sicker, than the people they are saying are the, are the sinners. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And his answer is both simple and profound. Um, Jesus knows that he is the physician of the soul. So it makes sense for him to put himself around the sick. Like a doctor can't be a doctor without being around sick people. Like that, you have to, that's what makes you a doctor or a medical doctor at least. So you have to have sick people. It's not like, oh, for him. It's not like, oh my goodness, another sick person. That's like, 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 Good doctors like get excited if you have really weird <laughs> kind of illnesses like tropical diseases. You know, they want the most complex cases like young kind of like residents will fight over like the interesting cases that come into a hospital. And Jesus 
wants to put himself in this place. He has come for the people who know they are sick. And ironically, it feels like just like with that story of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector praying, it feels like these sinners and tax collectors are closer to God in their sin than the, the Pharisees are in their complete unawareness of the sin in their lives. Um, and it says, it says in Romans, I mean, Romans just talks about this so much, just this whole idea of how the requirements of the law just cannot be met um, in our own efforts. And um, Paul says in Romans, where sin increased, grace increases all the more. So crazily, it's not perfection that Jesus requires it is an awareness of how needy we are, of a saviour, of somebody to come and pay our price. And that is just as open to the Pharisees as it is to the sinners and the tax collectors. Um, Romans 9 says, What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. So when Jesus says this, I'm sure he didn't say it in a sarcastic way because Jesus wouldn't do that, but he's doing it in a clever way. He knows the people he's saying this to are just as sick, if not sicker than the tax collectors and the sinners that he is being told he shouldn't be spending time with. So I don't know about you, but um, if I'm sick, I don't always go to the doctor. <laughs> and sometimes it can take a little while to admit we need help, you know, whether that is physical help or emotional help. And the Pharisees didn't know they were sick. Um, they thought that they could make themselves righteous by following the law, following the Torah to the letter. Um, and so that's what they did. So every time they felt guilt or every time they did something wrong, they sacrificed, they tried harder, but it didn't bring a sense of fulfillment or joy. Um, and it definitely didn't mean they had a personal relationship with God. Um, so what about if you do know you're sick? Maybe some of these Pharisees deep down did know there's something missing here. Maybe this Jesus has got something. But you just kind of push it to the side. Um, you know that maybe you need something more, but you're just going to put all your you know, all your kind of emphasis on one day the Messiah is going to come back. This guy definitely isn't the Messiah. He's spending time with sinners. Um, or perhaps you do know you're sick. You do know you need a doctor, but you don't know that there is a doctor out there to help you. And I think at the moment, the Pharisees did not understand who Jesus was and why he had come. So, or maybe you know you're sick. You do know you need a doctor. You know there is a doctor, but you don't think the doctor can help you. 
And I think that was probably more a place that one of these sinners might put themselves in. I am just too unworthy. This doctor would not be able to help me. I am a lost cause. I am beyond help. And that may have been how Matthew was feeling, sitting at that um, tax booth. <coughs> like, there's no way I could follow Jesus because I'm hated, particularly by the Jews. Um, or maybe you know you're sick, you know you need a doctor, you know there is a doctor, you know the doctor could help you, but you do not think he wants to help you. You can't see in a million years how he would want to help you. Or perhaps, and I think this is probably where many of us <laughs> fall, you know you're sick, you know you need a doctor, you know there is a doctor, you know the doctor could help you, you know the doctor probably wants to help you, but you know what the doctor will tell you to do and you just don't want to do it. And, and I think for many of us, <laughs> I know I've been to the doctor before and they've been like, okay, you need to give up alcohol, red meat, chocolate. And you're just like, great, I'll do that. <laughs> um, and I think for many of these people, Matthew may be you know, uh, an exception here. Many of these people, the, the sinners, the tax collectors, they might have known. They might have heard this message and been like, we cannot do what Matthew has done. We're leaving. And for the Pharisees, if they did cotton on to what Jesus is saying, maybe they knew they needed him. Actually, they knew deep down they were sick. But for them to put their trust in him rather than in the law, rather than in their rituals, rather than all these things, these works that made them feel good, um, would have been so much kind of, it would be so much harder to follow Jesus and do what he is saying. So what does this mean for us? What is the application of this? And um, the amazing thing is, like, you know, the, the sinners, the sinners in the story and the Pharisees, really, they're all in the same camp. They all, they all need the God like us. And the amazing position that we are in now is that we do have this perfect doctor who is ready and able and available to to heal our sin. Um, he always makes this perfect diagnosis. He provides this complete cure and he pays the bill at the end. Um, he, all he wants from us is that we are aware that we are sick and that we need him. And, and I think in our everyday life, it can be so easy to self-medicate with other things. When we feel that need, um, it is so easy to work harder or to have a drink or watch a show or make a to-do list or who knows, what, whatever the vices that you go to to make you, yourself feel better. It is so much easier to try to solve that need for ourselves rather than going to our, our doctor that is available. And for so often it's that we don't wanna, we don't wanna put ourselves in the camp of, 
of being the sinner. We're like, well, I've grown up with this. I know this. I'm already, the, I'm already in. But actually, what this is saying is we have to keep coming back and being aware of our need. Um, in many ways, this story is, 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 is just like the prodigal son, the story of the, the younger son who's gone and squandered everything that his father had worked hard for. And then you have the older son who has stayed at the farm and worked and slaved and done everything he thinks he's supposed to have done. But the, the younger son comes back and is aware of his need for this loving father. He's aware he's sick and he got to that broken place of eating the, the pig food. Um, and it's the older son in his kind of judgment and, um, I don't know, self-righteousness that he's almost the one who is still sick because he's not aware of his need for a saviour. So, yeah, I think um, what we're going to do is take communion, and this leads so perfectly into, I think, the liturgy we have for communion today, um, which is kind of a prayer of confession. And I, I think I didn't grow up in a church that did prayers of confession, um, and I think... It's taken me a long time, I think, to get back to a place of, no, this is, it's really important sometimes just to sit and be aware of my sin and of the things I get wrong daily. Um, not because I'm supposed to sit under condemnation, but because Jesus has paid the price already and I don't have to live under that sin. There is freedom. Um, so we don't, do, we don't do this to be heavy or to be like, woe is me. We do this to celebrate, like we can bring everything. And I love in this liturgy, it says, um, I bring to you the things that I almost like know I've done and the things I don't know I've done. Because <laughs> often we're not even aware, we're so desensitized. We're not even aware sometimes of the things we've not done <laughs> that we could have done. Um, but really this is about, as a child, coming to our father saying, God, I need you. Just as Matthew said, I'm going to give up all of this because it's all just complete nothing compared to knowing you. Um, and the Pharisees need, need to do that. We can come to him and say, um, we need you in our brokenness. Thank you. Thank you.